Hello and welcome to Dialogue. I'm Xu Jinduo. China and Germany has renewed high-level financial talks in Germany on Sunday. Both sides reached agreement on some 25 topics, increasing cooperation in insurance and banking, and expanding mutual market access were high on the agenda. What is the state of China-Germany economic relations right now? Are we going to see closer cooperation between the two countries? Well, Germany is also de-risking from China, and what the future looks like for China-Germany ties. To answer these questions and more, I'm joined by Professor Ian Bag from the London School of Economics and Political Science, Professor Liu Baocheng at the University of International Business and Economics, and Xu Qiang, research fellow at Beijing's Foreign Studies University. Before we start the conversation, let's take a look at this report from Peter Oliver. It had been way too long since the two nations had met at this level. That's why it will be conceivable to hold this financial dialogue not every two years, but annually, perhaps also with the involvement of private sectors. In any case, I noticed from expression on my Chinese colleague's face that this idea was being looked at with favor, and that will be another success of this high-level financial dialogue. Christian Lindner is hopeful that following his meeting with Herr Lefong, Frankfurt will become a bigger hub for international banks and financial services. It's already home to Germany's DAX stock exchange, and Chinese financial firms have a strong foothold in the city that could grow. And it's set to be a two-way street with investment bankers like those from Deutsche Bank just behind me, perhaps looking for their German to Mandarin phrase books, as they've been given the green light to do more transactions in RMB in China. It sends a very positive signal that this is not the black and white world that people who, for the first time, think about Sino-European relations. Have a better picture in looking into what the real opportunities are, and not everything is crystal clear what it practically means. But it very much looks like great opportunities are ahead of us. Trade between Germany and China was worth close to 300 billion dollars last year. The agreements in the joint statement from the leaders show that Berlin and Beijing are ready to try and drive that business relationship forward. Something a currently recession-mired German economy sorely needs. Peter Oliver, CGTN, Berlin. Well, welcome to dialogue,、uh, Bocheng. I will start with you. So, this China-Germany high-level financial dialogue mechanism was established in 2014, and then for the second dialogue was held in 2019,、uh, right before the COVID-19 pandemic. And now, finally, we had this、uh, the third、uh, dialogue. You know, after four years, tell us more about this mechanism. You know, what is it for, and why it is important for the two countries. Well,、uh, for the entire EU, uh, uh, China has really attached a greater importance for trade and investment, given the、uh, hostile environment,、uh, what is going on in、uh, North America, and、uh, at the same time, the EU sees this opportunity to、uh, participate in the booming economy in the Chinese、uh, industries. And、uh, as a matter of fact, the, the dialogue uh, on uh, finance has been going on almost in synchronization、uh, with the uh, bilateral investment、uh, treaty negotiation with uh, EU, uh, in which the,、uh, Germany is a leading member. And、uh, both sides see that uh, uh, the importance of trade and investment, particularly 
uh, when Germany uh, is uh, having uh, nearly 90% of its uh, revenue from China, and uh, we have been the uh, largest trading partner for uh, Germany for consecutively seven years. And uh, so many uh, the uh, leaders in the uh, business community from Germany, they see the great opportunity and also the great potential to be tapped. And now, you know, with more of the opening of uh, Chinese uh, uh, in terms of the uh, sectors, so uh, particularly uh, with more of the financial sector, be it banking, be it insurance, and they also see that that will be a added uh, advantage uh, for the uh, German companies to operate in China. So that's why uh, you know uh, the interruption of the COVID is finally over, and now uh, the resumption is uh, uh, highly needed and it's a critical juncture for us to really to re renew and uh, continue, hopefully on annual basis, on this dialogue to smooth line uh, the a number of, uh, uh, I should say, more of those, uh, you know, the uh, disagreements and also uh, the ambiguities that is lying ahead uh, for further opening of the two markets. Mm -hmm. For the opening of the two markets. Uh, Ian. Uh, if you look at these agreements, uh, you know, largely like uh, uh, the joint statement from the two sides, uh, they agreed with each other on the multiple uh, areas, you know, 25 of them, uh, you know, uh, increased access to market, uh, both sides, and also, you know, they are, both sides are against the protection, protectionism, you know, they are for the rules-based uh, uh, multilateral, uh, say, uh, and basically trading system surrounding uh, WTO, etc. There's a this sense of optimism, and also, and people would say, largely would say, this dialogue is a successful one. What's your take? Well, first thing to say is that China and Germany have, let's say, at least three significant things in common. The first you've already been hinting at, is that they are both export-orientated growth models. Uh, China clearly has a, a massive surplus, like Japan, but Germany within Europe has a massive surplus vis-a-vis -vis not only the rest of the world, but other European countries. And this is a significant part of its, of its growth potential. But the two countries also face two challenges in the coming years. The first is the energy transition, you know about uh, Germany's attempts to wean itself off coal, its dependence on Russian gas. China, I think, faces something similar. It is moving very rapidly towards uh, much more carbon, a much less carbon-intensive energy system. And the third thing both countries face, China, probably equally with, with Germany, which is among the, mo the most uh, vulnerable in Europe to this, is the demographic change, an aging population, which is requiring them to think about new ways, not just of funding the, their economies, but whether a different growth model might be more appropriate. So all these things, I think, motivate a coming together to say, how can we learn from each other? How can we recalibrate our relations with the rest of the world? Because we are two of the biggest players in export markets, maybe a bit less so in financial markets, but financial markets is one way we're going to try to change our model towards something different from the reliance on manufacturing, which has been at the core of the growth model for so long. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll speak of the financial uh, sector, Chuqian. Uh, you know, some of the highlights were both sides agreeing to cooperate on insurance supervision, you know, establishing a dialogue 
to exempt some requirements, four Chinese banks in Germany and at least one Chinese bank to establish a subsidiary, a subsidiary in Germany as its European hub. It seems that the European side and the German side is, is, is keen you know, to secure the Chinese um, uh, uh, you know, banks you know, to invest or conduct business in their cities here, uh, meaning Frankfurt. Uh, what do you make of that? Oh, I think this is actually an excellent conference. Um, well, personally, I've been a participant in these activities for years. Uh, in 2017 and 18, uh, we had parallel scholar meetings alongside of those meetings. So personally, I was in Frankfurt as well. Uh, I witnessed everything has uh, been progressing for all these years, even though we have the uh, interruption of the, uh, uh, the pandemic for three years. But now we're very glad to see everything finally are making breakthroughs and achieving very, very high. So basically, like you just mentioned, um, I think the cooperation is solid. We can just uh, shorten them in three words. One is uh, digital cooperation, second is green cooperation, and set, uh, third is the regulation and cooperation. Of course, they're all in the financial sectors. Um, for example, like uh, the regulation sector, so why in China? Actually, you probably for our audience, if you're not in the financial sector, you probably don't know that China and Germany actually have very close relations in financial corporations. Do you know when China grow into an aviation uh, and also the space big country, the Munich Re, that insurance company, is the first international insurance company to provide insurance for Chinese rocket launching. So this is just a one of the start, but for very, very, and also letting alone the Deutsche Bank, one of the most important the European commercial bank has already said of their very early branches in China, and also vice versa. And China also have very big commercial banks in Germany for as well. But why we're still talking about this? And also last time when I was in Europe. We visited Germany as well as in Luxembourg. You will find it one funny fact is that many of the HQ of the Europe uh, of the Chinese uh, commercial banks are located in Luxembourg instead of in Frankfurt. That is because the regulation standards are different. So uh, Germany really want to revise that situation. They want to improve their conditions uh, to recalibrate with the standard with China, also as well as with an international uh, standard. So that Chinese uh, commercial bank, like the Giant Four, at least one of them can have their European, uh, you know, HQ in Germany, relocated to Germany. So this is uh, just one of the start. And also, I think the standard can be spilled over to insurance companies. Later, you're probably going to see see Chinese huge insurance company also be moving their, uh, you know, uh, European HQ into Germany as well. And also, this cooperation means a lot for China as well because the Bundesbank von Deutschland, which is Central Bank of Germany, is actually one of the most important players for the ECB. So, which means when we have this regulation cooperation on the standard and everything with Germany, and then we can meet the standard basically of all European Union. So, this is an important step for Chinese banking sector as well. So. In the coming four or five years, we're going to see more of the solid progress made in this area. More and more detailed examples are going to happen in this area. Okay, so more is uh, to happen in terms of uh, um, such, such kind of cooperation or let's say uh, moving the headquarters from somewhere in the European Union to uh, the German cities there. Uh, that's, that would be interesting to watch. Uh, and Bo Cheng, you know, both sides also agreed to open market access, you know, which is, uh, quote, 
based on level playing field, uh, while at the same time committing to uh, combating trade protectionism and supporting the rules-based, uh, non-discriminatory, fair, open, inclusive, equitable, and sustainable uh, transparent multilateral trading system with WTO at its core. You know, the, the opposition to tr protectionism, of course, you know, what comes to mind would be uh, what happened, the, the latest uh, about uh, the so-called investigation uh, into the uh, reported subsidy of the Chinese EVs, or you see protectionism from Washington, basically. Uh, that's, uh, I, I think, basically a consensus, you know, for people to watch there. So uh, what do you think they are referring to? Uh, like, okay, we oppose trade protectionism and we will refrain from doing that. Well, but I think both sides have a large agreement over uh, these key words, uh, you know, transparency, accountability, sustainability, and uh, uh, you know, more opening of the market. But uh, uh, it is also a, a very interesting phenomenon. We see that uh, uh, the e-vehicles, as you mentioned, to be imported into Europe uh, are uh, really uh, much of the investment derived from Europe and also particularly from Germany. And uh, uh, you can see that uh, when China is really introducing a tough requirement on the quantity and percentage of e-vehicles to be produced in China, and uh, the Chinese auto industry is highly uh, uh, participated and engaged by the German companies. Look at Volkswagen. They take the 40% of the uh, of the entire uh, share in the uh, Chinese market. So the when uh, when German companies, European companies are really taking the leading role, and they are also taking the leading role uh, from domestic market into uh, the export market into Europe. So therefore, uh, the Europe uh, it seems that uh, the uh, Europe is really kicking or pushing. The, uh, uh, the auto companies out of Europe and they get parked in China because of the large potential and because of the realistic revenue they earn. And now when they really bring the product they make, uh, you know, using, of course, some of the Chinese resources, but particularly the Chinese cheaper labor, and then uh, they get rejected. So this is really uh, the irony. And the fact that uh, uh, if you look at the subsidies, you know, the uh, Airbus was also subsidized by the government and as a matter of fact that is a phase approach so China is already phasing out the subsidies to the uh, e-vehicles so uh, therefore uh, it is really the competitive edge China has really exhibited particularly to push uh, and squeeze some of the market space for some of the smaller companies in Germany and the EU at large uh, that really make them uncomfortable but it is really the market that really uh, sharpened the competitive edge of the Chinese exporters other than the Chinese government subsidies. So the probe is really more of a political maneuverability, but I do not think it's really going to bring any benefit to the uh, EU consumers and the EU, uh, the uh, auto industry. And in the end, I think this is uh, uh, simply a uh, sort of uh, the uh, political uh, show uh, to uh, pacify some of the, uh, you know, the uh, the, the animosities, uh, the voices raised in that regard. So I do not think this has really come to a uh, very much of a punitive 
uh, measures uh, against the Chinese exports. Mm. Uh, Bolton, do you see this is a sign, you know, neither side is, uh, talked about this, uh, uh, you know, possible investigation or the EV subsidies um, during this dialogue. Do you see that is uh, as a sign of like, you know, both China and Germany somehow uh, trying to, I don't know, like trying to reduce this, the, the, the impact of this so-called investigation or the possible investigation here? Uh, well, uh, well this is, let's take this uh, as an isolated case because we see that both sides really have good intention to engage and to renew their commitment to work together for further market opening and uh, also to remind each other of the, uh, the big words like uh, you know, responsibility and uh, uh, accountability, etc. And uh, that's very much also in conformity with the Chinese uh, the, uh, drive to move for high quality opening because uh, President Xi has uh, time and again uh, made it emphasize on the uh, systematic opening by converging more on uh, international norms and uh, adopting more of the international standard. So the banking industry, the insurance industry are really uh, taking the lead to move ahead. And also uh, because capital together is now combined uh, very closely with the uh, the realist, uh, the real economy sector. So therefore, I think it's a really positive move. So mm -hmm. let's treat this as an isolated case. And also, you know, much of the evidence uh, needs to be uh, really, uh, you know, probed before any conclusion can be drawn. Mm -hmm. uh, well, uh, Yin, obviously, the, uh, you know, the German uh, Chancellor, uh, Oslo Scholz, you know, in the interview, he talked about uh, uh, he, he's not convinced of this uh, possible punitive measures uh, you know, to, to be applied, you know, to say the least. Uh, he talked about um, in the 1980s, uh, the Japanese car exported to the European market. In the 1990s, you know, uh, Korean uh, cars exported to the European market. So they hold ground. And uh, basically the idea is like uh, they are not a fear. They have no worry about uh, the import of Chinese EVs. Uh, but um, so they disagree with uh, the European Commission in terms of uh, the possible investigation. Well, I think it's important to stress that Germany is not the sole voice when it comes to thinking about EVs, because it, it is, as you just said, the European Commission, which has formal competence for trade policy. And that competence for trade policy leads it to try to integrate the concerns of the 27 member states and not just Germany. And then you have a second element to this, which is that the car industry in Germany is a very big component of its export model. But it's a car industry which is spread across Europe. It's a kind of hub and spoke approach where hubs like Munich and Stuttgart, respectively BMW and Mercedes, have spokes going out into several other member states of the European Union. They, they do manufacturing, they, they do elements of design, but the headquarters are in Germany. So the, the, the car industry in general is going to be lobbying quite hard in the European Commission to slow down, let's say, some of the potential imports from, from China. But European consumers are a different story. They're, they're very happy to be able to buy uh, Chinese EVs because they're much lower cost and they're much more attractive financially to them. So there's a tension in two directions there between China and the EU in general, between Germany's interests and the EU's general interests, and between consumers and producers, which 
gets messy when you try to disentangle it. Mm -hmm. uh, Ian, uh, related, if you take a look at the languages you know, by both sides, uh, it seems that both China and Germany, they remain a strong force for uh, globalization or for free trade or for more trade, let's say, you know, based on or surrounding the rules uh, of WTO. Yeah, well, they're, they're export-led economies. They, they have a strong interest in free trade. The, the usual contrast within Europe is that France tends to be a bit more protectionist. And some of the tensions at European level are about reconciling the interests of France and Germany. So that, that, that is part of it. I'd say, nevertheless, that there is some concern strategically in, in, in Brussels, as a part, in the part of the European Commission, but also in many national capitals, be it Berlin or Paris, about what's called strategic autonomy, this concept that was initially floated by Emmanuel Macron, the French president, the concern that somehow Europe is vulnerable to too much being produced in China and therefore needs to re reshore or repatriate some of the activities that have previously been purchased from China and other suppliers in Southeast Asia. So that tension too has to be factored into the storyline. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, Chu Chang, if you look at this uh, relationship between China and Germany, uh, for example, investment uh, uh, for this first half of this year, 2023, is about 10.3 billion euros. Uh, it's slightly uh, less than 12 billion euros invested in the first half of last year, but it's the second high, let's say, uh, in years. Uh, so do you see the slight drop this year? I mean, it's, it's just uh, not much. Uh, in terms of the numbers, um, is that a problem or, I mean, you are happy, it's fine compared to probably 2019, it's more than 2019 or 2020? Well, I don't think this is a, a problem because uh, if you do investment, you will know the financial are very cyclical, which means if you down put, uh, you know, one of the money in somewhere next year, you wouldn't put the same amount of money because you have already purchased the, uh, the land, the machine, the equipment. So every round of investment, it can be different, that's for sure. But you only look at the general pictures. Are they increasing? Is everything is it still growing? And that's the whole thing we need to know. And Germany actually are having a very important interest in China. For one thing is that China and Germany always have a very good relation with each other. One just a very fun fact is that even during the World War II, Germany still helped China to find, fight against Japan. Uh, so that can be very interesting, isn't it? And also, uh, since the uh, outbreak of the uh, conflict in Ukraine, Germany really want to relocate several of the capacities back in the Far East, which is more stabler and peaceful. So they understand that. And also for uh, the Europe, another thing, like you just mentioned, aging problem, shrinking demand, and where do they just make up for it? I think in China, in ASEAN countries. So you see in many German companies, they based their greater China HQ or the greater Asian HQ in China, which means they still paid attention to this market. They value the probably the largest growing middle income class in China, as well as the growing ASEAN nations. So these are actually within their thinking, as well as we just hear our colleagues just mentioned, a lot of people like the European comedy are saying, okay, Chinese EV are trying to steal your market. But I think German, a country full of philosophers, they have all this wisdom to understand China would not do that because Japan used to pop out. 
and Japan, Japanese car and the German cars, they all have their niche market. Today, it's a similar question, right? Chinese EV will have its niche market, and German vehicle will also have its uh, you know, niche market. Everybody can profit from this competition, and everybody can see the progress in technology together. So it's going to be a win-win eventually. So I think in the future, um, German companies will still value uh, you know, uh, their investment in China. And also, as I heard from many friends from Germany, they're planning to do so. Uh, not only the uh, uh, not only the traditional company, as well as many of the growing SMEs and technologies. And also, let you uh, let let's just think about this. Even though right now we have competitions in the automobile uh, sectors, but also with Chinese growing in the EV industry, more of the German companies are still benefiting from it. Mm -hmm. For example, the Bosch. We have the electric motors using from the Bosch, and also China is importing more of the Airbuses from the European market. So we're going to have a closer tie instead of uh, getting away from each other. Yeah, but but Chichang, there's a you know this is a relationship not free from problems. For example, you know despite the talk of level playing field, uh, the German side has uh, been reportedly uh, talking about you know basically get rid of the Huawei equipment from their telecom system. Um, I mean, how how level playing field is that? Well, I think. Well, uh, first of all, every industrialized country, they used to have some certain kinds of facilities to their own product, for sure. Uh, Germany used to do that. America used to do that to England as well. And uh, Japan used to do that to American market and uh, European market as well. But that's not forever. It usually just lasts in the baby period of time. So when their industry just get matured and then they will get close to the international reach, fulfill the international commitment. So everybody will have this, uh, you know, fair play in the uh, market as well. China is a large country uh, with uh, very solemn commitment to the WTO and trade partners. So China has tried to uh, fulfill its commitment right now. Mm -hmm. As well as talking about Huawei, and Huawei I don't think it's, uh, it's a fair example because Huawei made all this technology breakthrough mostly by themselves, independently. So I think uh, their bashing on the Huawei product in Europe is mostly being misled by you know some suspicions by some politicians, it's politics, not business competition. Mm -hmm. So I think it's this more, is something we need to pay attention to. Yeah, more about the politics. Uh, uh, but for for Ian and Bolcham, briefly, you know, of course, you know, before that, we heard of, uh, I mean, quite a amount of de-risking uh, strategy, uh, either EU-China relationship or Germans-China policies. Uh, uh, so Ian, here now we are seeing basically almost that you know, you know the meeting as successful as uh, you know before 2019. Uh, it's it's like a deja vu of uh, base cooperations between the two countries. So, so what what is the strategy? What exactly is the German strategy on China here? Well, I think we're seeing two things happening simultaneously. Germany recognizes that China matters. We all know that. It matters because it's a major export market, but it matters also because of suspicion about what's going to happen next in the United States. We, we can all speculate to endlessly about whether Trump will come back and completely up, turn everything upside down. But the United States is in the background in all of these discussions. And more specifically on Huawei, the, the message that's coming out from European politicians to citizens in Europe is we are suspicious of Huawei because they have an obligation to report to the Chinese government. Now, whether that's true or not, I have no idea. 
but it's the way it's being framed in the European debate is that Huawei is Huawei equipment risks being used to spy on what you're doing. Well, Bolton, briefly, the, before the U.S. had a problem with Huawei, there's no questioning about Huawei, right? Well, uh, you know, uh, to answer your question first with regard to the de-risking, and, uh, well, uh, de-risk, does it mean uh, the totally, uh, by definition, to reduce dependence on China? Well, uh, well, they have to look at the other side of the coin by reducing the independ, uh, the, uh, their dependence on China's imports and export and also investment, I think it's going to uh, increase their risk. Uh, so uh, because it is really the business community who are ma- making a wider decision, so the de-risking is uh, more of a uh, political uh, slogan that is there to meet a more of the outcry from the leftist. The other uh, uh, issue is really the structural divergence because China used to have full compatibility with the Europe and also with Germany. Uh, you know, when China was uh, supplying more of the textile, the, mm-hmm. the uh, raw materials, etc., and then uh, the uh, when Europeans and Germans they it's, sent it's more, more like of a the high tech stuff. In, Sorry, yeah, in China, but right now was the high quality growth. With yes. that, we come to the uh, end of today's show. Many thanks to our guests. You can also find us on the CGTN app on YouTube. I'm Xu Qinzhuo. Thanks for being with us. See you next time.